Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay, and I'm your host. I'm here with my co-host and wife, Hannah Hogan. The one and only. Okay, well, we're pumped to be here. It's funny that you say the one and only. Last night I did a show at Zany's, and Aaron brought me up as the one and only Dusty Slay. Mm-hmm. But I've typed in Dusty Slay on Facebook before, and I haven't done it recently, because I assumed my whole life I was the only Dusty Slay. Because Dusty's not that common of a name, and Slay is not that common of a name. So for the two of those things to actually come together to be someone's name, I assume there's no way there's another Dusty Slay. You know what I mean? And I'm not even trying to be like, I'm the best. Who could be another one like me? I'm just saying, based on the idea that... There's not a lot of names like that. Then, then how would it come together to be that? And I agree I, with you. I would make that assumption about your name. And too. I found two or three, and I don't believe they're real. Now, this was before anyone would be. Now, people make fake accounts for Dusty Slay all the time now. But this was before anyone would be making fake accounts. Yeah, people make fake accounts all the time, and people message me. It'll say, like, Dusty Slay Private. And people will message me and say, is this real? And I'm like, of course not. I'm never going to make a fake account. I don't have, and, and then like one message, this is, let's see if I can find this one that was sent to me yesterday by someone. Do you think they make a fake account for you and then try to scam other people or something? Yes. Mm. But I don't know what they try to scam. Uh, here, let's see. Oh, geez. I hit too many buttons. It's kind there. of an honor though. I mean, you know you've made it when there's multiple fake accounts. Yeah, I'm not offended by it, but here it is. This says Dusty Slay underscore private. That's an Instagram account. It said, hello, thanks for your lovely like and comments on my official page. It's great to know I have such a devoted fan. Much love. It's like, I was like, well, first off, I'm never going to end a message with much love. I don't know if I've ever heard you use the word lovely. Exactly. Lovely or much love or never. Like, if you're going to fake it, get with it. Yeah. You're, you're opening with hello. Open with all right or something like that. You know what I mean? Get with it. But. So there was multiple dusty sleighs. Yeah. So, the, you know, and one guy was had like a shaved head and he was wearing a wife beater. And I was like this, and he looked a little bit like me. It wasn't me, but I was like, this is alternate reality, Dusty. Mm. This is Dusty if I never left the trailer park. Yeah. I think about that a lot with you. Do you? Yeah, just if you never got out. I mean, because we know, I know people from my hometown and your hometown, and even we'll say in your family, that never leave. Yes. And there's a shelteredness in that. And, uh, you know, that the small end of the change is your accent isn't as thick as it probably would be if you stayed down deep in there. But the other part is you're a little bit more, uh, you know, moving and shaking. You can talk to people. You're you're making moves out here. Well, I do think moving out of your hometown into a situation where you're forced to make new friends does that to you because I moved not for a job. 
I moved to Charleston at 21 and I didn't move for a job. And I'm very thankful at the time it was very frustrating, but that my friend that moved there with me, who I'm still friends with, uh, he moved his girlfriend up right away. And I think about that sometimes. I actually messaged him the other day after working with Larry the Cable Guy. I sent him the picture. And I said, had your now wife not moved up, and then I put in air quotes, and messed everything up, uh, I might not be doing what I'm doing now. Because me and him might have moved there. We might have went along with the plan that we had, which was to just move to a new city, party a little bit, be buddies, hang out, you know, go out and... And it didn't work out like that because he moved his girlfriend up. So I didn't have my friend really in this new city and I had no friends. So I was like really forced to make friends. Yeah. And you always describe it as a really hard time in your life. Like you were, you were a little disillusioned and lonely. Yeah, for sure. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I was like, oh man, now I got no idea what I'm doing. I've moved to this other town. But because of that, I ended up, um, because of having no money and everyone telling me that you can make a lot of money waiting tables, I, I printed up a resume and I went around to like every restaurant in downtown Charleston at the time in 2004, 2003 maybe. And I just dropped off that resume to every place. And, um, uh, you know, I ended up, ended up getting the job with Hyman's. And I made a ton of friends from Hyman's, but I also saw in the paper uh, something saying adult comedy improv classes. And I was like, I don't really know what that is, but I think I'm pretty funny. So it would be fun to do that. So I took these improv classes and Theater 99 is who I would go on to do all of my stuff with for the next, um, you know, 10 years. Yeah. 11 years. But you would be such a redneck, maybe borderline white trash if you just stayed in Opelika and no shade. But like, it's like, who well, knows? Because if you had a state on your path of drugs and drinking, but in small town drugs and drinking, that could have got dark and sad quick. Yeah, because it, it was, it's not even Opelika. It's that I was, I had bought the trailer that I grew up in. Yeah. So I, you know, I started off and I've said this, you know, a thousand times on here, but you know, I, I moved into this trailer and then shortly after that, I, uh, I went to court for an arrest that I had and I lost my driver's license. I was on probation. I had already dropped out of community college. I failed to get in the army. I'm like, I'm just, so for the next nine months, I'm living in this trailer while a buddy drives me to work every day. I mean, it was a blast. I had a great time, but it was really fun for, for a 20 year old kid. But, but think about the choices you'd made at that time, you were not going to college. Now, our generation, you're a couple years older than me, but our generation, pretty much everyone was going to higher education. Like, yeah, that, that was my experience. It's like, you're, well, you're for pretty sure. much going to go to community college or in Canada, we call it university, you know, but if you're not doing that, okay. I, I, yeah, I used to, when I, I used to say that I, I want to move out of town just so people will stop asking me where I'm going to college. Yeah. 
because it's like, if I live in a new, it's like, you know, cause you just run into people that, you know, and, and they're all like, Oh, where are you going to school? And I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to school. I work at Papa John's part-time yeah. uh, or I work at Western Sizzlin or I work at office Depot. Uh, office Depot felt like a pretty fancy job. Um, just cause it's got office in the world. <laughs> yeah. And for a while I was wearing a tie. I would wear a tie at work. I was the only one wearing a tie, but it was allowed. It was part of the uniform if you wanted to wear it. And I really got into it. Do you believe there is a path now for people that want to forego college to climb the ladder in some business? Or do you think, you know, people just got to get involved with tech or engineering or, 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 you know, take over their own family's business if that's, if that's an option? Well, I have no idea uh, if there is, but I always think that uh, what I would do, like if I were younger and wasn't going to move to Charleston, and I would go to some type of technical school. I would learn to be an electrician. I would learn to be a plumber. I would learn um, because, you know, I'd love to be able to do that stuff now. I can do a little bit of it. Like I installed a new dishwasher at the cabin. I, you know, have replaced a few ceiling fans. You're very handy, Dusty. Yeah, so I can do some stuff, but it would be nice to really learn electrical stuff. And I think that's what I would do. You know, I think, um, but yeah, I mean, because you, know, you can own your own business. You can do your own thing. You can also do your own repairs, or learn to weld. My dad was a bit of a welder. I know how to hold things while he welds. I'd like to <laughs> weld. Right now, my bird feeder out back, I have some shepherd's hooks, metal shepherd's hooks holding up the bird feeder. And the birds come and they'll try to like land on the shepherd's hook and they can land on the very top. I'd love to weld some little spikes onto the side to give the birds a little resting space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not something that college can teach you. That's something that a trade school will teach you. Yeah, I mean, the stuff I see on the internet, I'm not sure college is teaching anyone anything. Now, I think if you're you're very specific about what you want to do, right? If you're like, you want to be a nurse, you go to nursing school. And I think that, to me, that's like a trade, right? You're like, sure. you know what you want to do. You're like, I'm going to go do the required things to do that. But just like... Uh, I think, in my opinion, but I think the days of I'm just going to go to college and figure it out, those days are gone. It's way too expensive. I mean, unless I you're rich uh, or just want to be in but student loan debt. But they all get loans. Debt. Everybody yeah. gets loans. Right. It's like if you're a parent and your kids are thinking about going to college, I think you got to talk to them about that. Like, like you know, the, the politicians are always going to promise student loan forgiveness, but it doesn't look like it's ever going to come. So, you know, think about you're strapping yourself into a loan and the whole idea was always, well, I'm going to get a great job and then I'll be able to pay that loan off in no time. And it's like, it doesn't always work like that. I think in the marketplace, you know, if you want to get any kind of white collar job at all and, and get into that six figures kind of thing, you, you do need some kind of degree just for the competitive nature of it to be even considered for, for most of those types of jobs. But my feeling with college is what's the rush? Why don't you graduate from high school, work, take a year off if you can afford it, um, travel. And I mean, traveling could just be, you know, going and visiting family across the country or taking a summer job. You know, if you're able to afford it, I, I think it is a really good experience because 
I did that. I went to Ireland when I was 18 and I lived there for a year and a half. And I, I decided what I wanted to do with my life during that time. And I had no idea before I left for Ireland what I wanted to do. You know, sometimes you need that buffer in between school and more school. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that and that like your uh, uh, journey in life, like uh, almost our timelines were about the same. Like you were going to Ireland when I was going to Charleston, yeah. right? And yeah. I spent a lot more time in Charleston, but I always wanted to uh, go to Montana and work on a ranch, yeah. Uh, I yeah. didn't know how to do that. I mean, like I grew up on a farm with my dad, right? But it's like, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time there with him, but it's like, it's not the same. I wanted to go somewhere and like have a real job where people were like, these are your responsibilities, not wake up every day, go help my dad and then him yell at me while we're doing it. You know, I want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wanted to get a. You you do need to get away. And this is our my opinion, you know, and it doesn't, it's not for everyone, but I do think you need to somewhat come down from your childhood, get away from your family, because then you really, you really learn a lot emotionally. Because I think until you're about 25, you're still sort of a kid emotionally. And even just basic things, you know, test you when you're like 21, 22. And so if you even just, you know, spend 18, 19, 20 working, traveling, you know, finding yourself, then you're better off to make a more informed, responsible choice about what direction you want to go in your 20s. Yeah. And I think too, it was helpful to me. Like, you know, I moved to Charleston. I I live with a friend and we had some, you know, we had a fight, had a few fights and then I moved out and then I moved in with a Jewish guy and I'd never known any Jewish people. Now, as far as I'm concerned, he was just, uh, he, if he had not said he was Jewish, I would never have known it. But, you know, I was like, oh, you know, but that seemed cool to me. It was a new life experience. Right. And then I'm uh, and then I move out from him and I move downtown Charleston to this big building. Now, this big building was probably 12 stories, 14 stories. But it, it to me, coming from Opelika, I was like, man, this is a skyscraper, you know, and this is amazing. So I was living in like an apartment building that felt like I was in some kind of movie where, you know, you're meeting a bunch of different characters living in this building. And I did meet a bunch of different characters. And then after that, I moved to the beach where I lived on the beach for a year. And it was just like, I was seeing all these new things all the time, meeting new people. Did you feel like that when you were in your early 20s, like your life was a movie? Yeah, I think so in a way. I mean, I think that, um, you know, there was, you know, it's like before smartphones, I really felt like, and I I was having this conversation with another guy and I felt like I used to write more. I used to write into journals and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And, And when I was telling this guy that he really seemed to light up and he was like, yeah, you were like, it was like you were writing these things that someone might discover one day. But now that we have the internet, it's like, let's just put everything out here right now. You know, it's like uh, you would, I would have these thoughts about things and then I would go to a notebook and I would just write them down when I was angry about something, if I was sad about something, if I just had something that I thought was a profound thought, there was no one to tell, Uh, you know, not that I didn't have friends, I had friends, but they don't want to hear that BS. So, you know, so I would just go write it down. It's much more soulful act, much yes. more cathartic to write, to put 
pen to paper. I wrote a to-do list yesterday and I thought, when was the last time I even wrote on a piece of paper? Yeah. I mean, good grief. And I used to be a writer. I know. I still like to write in a notebook. A lot of people, uh, comics like to write their set list down on their phone and they just yeah. take their phone up. I still like to write it down in a notebook. I feel like you're really solidifying it. If you write it down on the notebook, I have a, a notebook where I have a whole bunch of jokes that are not on the hour special that I'm about to film. Uh, so I'm like, I'm already, I'm like ready. Now I don't know if they're all good, but I'm like ready with a chunk on a piece of paper. The moment this special's filmed, I'm like, I can get right to work with new stuff. Uh, but writing is so great. I have these old notebooks. I got it. When I lived at the beach, I got into Charles Bukowski a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I always say that and it feels like I seem, it feels like pretentious, but at the same time, it feels generic it feels like that's the poet that everyone goes to yeah but i like to think of you as into this sort of tortured man because you don't really give off that vibe so the fact that you're connecting with him tells me that maybe there is a little bit of a tortured artist in you well especially during that time right i didn't really know who i was i, I and, and who does right but but i i just felt like um looking back uh, you know, I, I was very well known, very well liked in my hometown, but your own emotions can just put you in this place of feeling like somehow you're alone and no one gets you and no one thinks like you do. So, you know, moving away, I like really escaped from everything and, 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 and life was a new adventure now because, uh, you know, I didn't know that many people. So I was always like, you know, every, every new person I met, I mean, especially if we started hanging out, it was like, oh, cool. This is a new friendship for a long time. I would see people and I would be like, oh, this is like a guy I knew in Opelika. This is like a guy I knew in Opelika, you know, and then I lived in Charleston for 11 years and then I moved to Nashville, the second move. Now this move was much easier. I didn't know more people here. I knew a few people here, so I guess I did know more. But, I mean, this time around, I had comedy, right? So I could roll into town, go right to the open mic, go right to the comedy club, go up. And this is what's great about the comedy community. And people act like they don't get opportunities and this and that. This is what it's all about. It's all about being good and being nice, being polite, and it's going to be fine. Uh, because I rolled right into town. I started hitting open mics. I was bringing the heat. I was bringing all my good jokes that no one had ever seen. I was getting booked on all the shows. I was making tons of friends. And I was like, oh, this is so much easier than when I did this 10 years ago in Charleston. What about being sober? I mean, you were sober when you came to Nashville. Well, sober helped in a way, uh, helped me keep the friends that I would make. But in Charleston, I mean, I, I would, uh, you know, I was, it's pretty fun to drink with. Right. But wouldn't you get to yelling at people? Yeah. And, I would lose the friends, you know? Right. So that, that would maybe impede on, you know, how good you are on stage consistently and how nice you are. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's good to, you know, I, I remember one time I, I was working with this guy and I liked him. Uh, and I saw him one morning. I mean, I was out pretty late. He was out pretty late. Like the sun was coming up. <laughs> oh gosh! but I, I don't even know what I was doing. Maybe I was up early. I don't know. 
But I remember didn't go to sleep. I don't know, but I ran into him, and he looked so bad. I mean, he was so wasted. You could ba- he could barely talk, and I just thought, oh, that's what I look like like that. And I don't know, maybe I'd even been quit drinking by this point, but I just remember seeing him and just being like, oh, gosh. And when I see older people, like my age or older, 50s, drunk, I'm like, oh, no, you got to lock that up. Now, it's like everybody uh, can, you know, if you're an older person. Get loose one Yeah, once in a while you get loose, and the next day you're like, oh, that was embarrassing. I don't want to do that anymore. And that's fine. That's all forgivable. It's not a big deal. But when you're doing it every day, I knew some people that I, I used to party with a little bit. They were a little older, and they were drinking all the time. And, you know, it's their life. They can do whatever they want. But it just like... When you see people just getting wasted at an old age, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. And that's back to the talking about being young and in your twenties and not going to school right away is I think during those years where you're sort of figuring it out, if you defer college, you can party a bit and you might very well burn yourself out in your first couple of years partying and then kind of. Be like, all right, let's make some decisions. Let's clean it up. Let's go. Let's go to this trade school, or let's pursue a entertainment. Let's become a comedian. Let's move to this city. You know, like, you know, that was my experience. I partied pretty hard between like eighteen and twenty. But then once I decided, okay, I want to be an actor, I went to theater school. It doesn't mean I didn't. I stopped drinking. I still drank. I still smoked weed. But it was way, way more balanced and. But the people around me that I connected with in college who kind of went to college right away or who had been in college for several years, they were just in the thick of this like inebriation in college. And it just sort of felt like, yeah, because you've not given yourself a break. Yeah. And I don't know if that's how it works, but I do think like you can kind of like give yourself that space to be young and be free and, and be guilt free about being a bit of an alcoholic because if you're 20, that's the time to be drunk all the time. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it's hard to say, right? Because I didn't go to college, but I was in that inebriation stage. (laughs) I gave myself plenty of break, (laughs) but but, you know, I used to always see like these real hippie people out on Folly beach and I wanted to be those hippie people. I wanted to be like real cool and chill like they were, you know, yeah. like, you, you know, you'd see like everybody always makes fun of white people with dreads. But I'm like, I always thought the, that it was the coolest thing. I just would see these people like surfers. And uh, I just remember seeing a one one guy like order a sandwich at a restaurant that I was eating at. And I was just like, this guy seems super cool, man. Mm-hmm. And I was just eating there alone. And I was like, I'd like to be that guy. But I was always, back then at least, I was a little too redneck and a little too much of an alcoholic to be the cool guy, right? Like I was cool in my own way. People liked me, but I was never the cool, chill guy because I get a few beers in me and then I, I wanted to be funny. And so my, my, if, if you know, my, my way to be funny was to be loud and outlandish. So did you find your confidence just along the way, or do you think it sort of settled in once you got sober at 30? Well, I had confidence in various areas. You know, it was just like I was just real mixed up, I think. So when I quit drinking, it was a combination of things. But like I had um, 
the I had comedy, right? So I won the Charleston comedy competition in 2011 before I quit drinking. So that was a nice confidence boost in comedy, but it didn't really give me the life confidence I was looking for. In fact, it did quite the opposite because I won this competition and I thought, oh man, like I'm the best. I, I don't know if I use those words, but that's just a feeling that I like, oh man, look at me. I'm so funny. I won this thing. Anybody that's ever won something knows that feeling, even if it's just for a night. Yeah. So you're like, man, I'm awesome. And then, but nothing changes. You're just like, I won this contest and for the night, everyone celebrated me. But now I'm back and I'm back at a Lowe's selling pesticides. No one in this Lowe's, uh, I don't know how to say it without cussing, but no, the real emphasis, but no one in this Lowe's cares. Uh -huh. They don't give a crap about what I won last night. They're like, yeah, uh, when are you going to get those pesticides stocked up? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you just right back at it. And then most of the people don't even know. I remember uh, maybe it was late 2011, early 2012, I was voted best local comic in the city paper. And I was back to working at Hyman's by this point. I was sober by this point. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to go into work today and everyone's going to know that because the city paper was cool. It was hip. Everyone in here is going to know that today I was voted best local comic. This is going to be really fun today. And I went in and not a single person knew. No one read the paper. No one cared. Uh, you know, they were hung over. They're just there to do their job. No one cares. And so, you know, in, in some ways, I, I feel like I found my confidence in comedy. But in other ways, it is just that I was able to take control of my life. And, 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 you know, get rid of uh, habits that I had and, and, and wanted to move on. And also, you know, in, in God, you know, finding confidence and in, in kind of knowing that, you know, I'm secure, I'm all set, I'm in a good place. And that's why, you know, I will not go into, I will not launch into it, but that's why I like, you know, kind of learning about commandments and old, and I did a little research on some of that stuff. I may, may get into it at the end, but uh uh, because it felt like, all right, now I'm like, I'm like doing something this whole time. I've been like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but at night I'm getting wasted and throwing back shooters and pushing people in the face. And, uh, you know, and now I'm like, I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm putting in some work now, you know, I'm not doing works. I don't think my, my place in heaven has changed, but I'm like, it feels like I got a stronger connection. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be an opposite to just being a complacent Christian or a lukewarm Christian. Yes. You know, like these are terms that are real that I'm sure many people have felt or can relate to. So if there can be that, then there can be a Christian who is seeking. Yeah. So it just came in this moment of freedom that I felt like I never had or maybe had right after high school, but somehow lost along the way. Like when I graduated high school, everybody wanted to go to college. Everybody wanted me to go to college and I didn't want to. And I didn't care that I didn't want to. And I had a nice freedom. 
but somehow that freedom got lost. I, I moved to Charleston and I got, I got, I got started selling pesticides and I started working with this guy, Stu and Stu was giving me all this life advice all the time. And Stu was giving me all of this great advice that I ended up using for various things. But the advice at the time seemed to put a pressure on me where it was like, you know, almost like you need to be doing this. This is what you need to be doing at this age. You should be doing this, saving up for this and that. And he said, you know, when I retire, you could probably take this job for me. And it was just like, next thing you know, I'm no college degree, but I'm working a salaried position. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm five, six years into a job, salary position, car allowance, health insurance that I never even really wanted. I hated that job from the beginning. There were certain aspects where I was like, oh, I like this. I got, I feel like I got a pretty professional job. I got my shirt tucked in. The last year I worked that job, I don't think I tucked my shirt in one day. I don't care, you know, but it's like. Um, so it was a bit of a double-edged sword because maybe you needed that stability and that direction to, you know, get your life in order, get get some kind of good job. But at the same time, you, the soulfulness or the... Uh, curiosity you lost. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I probably would have been drinking in the morning if I didn't have that job because, you know, I would have just been working the restaurant, but I always had this thing that I was doing aside from the restaurant. So yeah, I think it kept me grounded, kept me connected, but yeah, I mean, it, it did, I did lose a bit of my creative searching. That's why there's a song called Don't Wait For Me by Josh Garrels. It's kind of a weird religious song, but that when I quit drinking, I heard that song and it hit me in a real way that it was like, whoa, this is this is what I'm talking about. This is my life here. Um, and uh, it just, uh, yeah, I feel like, so the confidence came in that now I have, um, you know, found a new path. Like I don't care. I, I wanted to quit comedy. I quit my job. I sold my car. I threw my bed in a dumpster. Uh, I got rid of all my furniture. I was sleeping on a, a air mattress in an empty bedroom. And I was like, I have never felt so good. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was biking everywhere. I was losing weight. I was just like strolling through Charleston, seeing it a new light. I would go down by the docks at night sometimes and just sit down there and the dolphins would come in and you could just see the fins kind of out in the moonlight. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is what I'm talking about. And I mean, how many times does that happen in a person's life? This sense of renewal, even when you're still in the same city. I mean, that's special. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it all came alive. And I think that when people, you know, and, and the nice thing was, is I did keep doing comedy. I wanted to quit, but I did keep doing it. And I think it helped me because a lot of times I think when I used to go to this art store all the time, just this art store that just sold uh, notebooks and pens. And I used to just walk around in there and just look. I, I bought so many dang moleskin notebooks and so many different kind of ink pens. I was always about to write something or about to draw something. And, uh, uh, you know, it just was a it just was a really a glorious time. And then I got rid of my roommate. I kind of kicked my roommate out and I got a new roommate that I liked better. Um, and And we were doing comedy and just being real creative with our comedy. I was doing improv and stand up, but no path in life, no direction in life. I had no real job. I was waiting tables three days a week, hosting trivia at night um, and uh, hosting an open mic. That felt good. It felt so good. 
Mm-hmm. Felt so good. I had all these speakers. I would wheel down on a hand truck, go set up to do an open mic. And I was hosting trivia and it, oh, man, it was just a blast. It was a glorious time. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, it's important to have that time. And, and that's what, you know, I, I wonder, cause we got married in our thirties, you know, so we kind of had these, this fun and wild times in our twenties to just be out there, you know, but I think that those, that's good. Like, it's good to have that, but at the same time, you know, you know, what would it look like if you had have got married real early and had a family in your twenties, you know, you miss out on that kind of free for all that you just described, but you know, maybe we missed out on something too. Yeah, you know, I always, I, I just worked this past weekend with my friend Will O'Donnell. He's out of St. Louis, and uh, I hope he doesn't mind that I just share his personal information. But um, uh, Will, we talked one night. Will, me and Will are about the same age. He may be a year older than me, but we're about the same age. And when I graduated high school, I joined the Army, and I got arrested, and I never got in. Will joined the Marines, and he did get in. And he went on to serve, uh, I don't know how long. I don't know if he retired from there. He's not in the military anymore. Um, but he had he ended up meeting a girl in the military. Uh, they, I don't know the order of things, but they got married. And he had a baby at 19 and then another one at 21, I believe. So we've talked about this, right? And he missed out on a lot of things because he was a very young father. But now he's 41 and his youngest daughter, I think, is 19. Mm. So he's like, he's free. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And we, and I just think that's funny. I was telling people, I'm like, I'm, we're, I said, me and Will are the same age. I have a daughter that's two. He has a daughter that's 22. Right. And it is like, so it's like, yeah, uh, maybe he missed out on a lot of stuff when he was younger. But now, you know, and I don't want to say that I'm not free, but, you know, we have a young child we're, we're raising. We're locked in. Yeah. But I also feel like it doesn't seem like an encumbrance, or if that's the right word, because uh, I got my wild years out of the way. You yes. know, it's, it's nice to just be settled finally, you know, and to be enjoying this domestic life, you know. Because at, at, after a time, I grew weary of it all. I grew weary of the traveling and the, you know, just the just the city life and, and all that. You know, I, I just said I was over it. I'd done it and I'd had modest success. And I was like, okay, is there something else, though? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was talking with my friend Derek, and we were talking to some guy he knew, and and that guy lived in Charleston about the same time we did, and we would talk about missing Charleston, and they'll go, do you miss Charleston, or do you miss your 20s? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't miss either in that sense, but I do reminisce about that time a lot. I, mm-hmm. I reminisce about, you know, there, there. When I failed to get in the army, there was a period of time after that where I was just hanging out at my trailer and I distinctively remember 
one spring, early summer, just hanging out in the trailer in Alabama. The trees are all blooming. It's all very green. We got the windows up. I'm listening to either the Bob Dylan greatest hits or the Janis Joplin greatest hits, two musicians that I had not discovered up until that point. And it's just playing on a three-disc changer stereo in my living room. And we're just in there hanging, and it just feels good. You know, we would do some drinking in the daytime, maybe do a little weed, but uh, it just was just fun. I just can almost feel the breeze of that time. And I I got a lot of pictures from that time. I don't want to go back there, Mm -hmm. but I can look back, you know, fondly. No, I agree. I mean, absolutely. But that's why I think I feel at peace because I have those fond memories. I have those good experiences. You know, I was able to live that, you know, um, but I just feel like, yeah, you can't, you can't go back to your twenties because the older you get the, you know, the more failures pile up, the, the more you learn about yourself and people, um, and the more, I, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but but you start to feel guilty about choices or depending on where you're at by your mid-30s, 40s, you're thinking, well, man, I made some bad choices or, okay, let's try to keep it going or, dang, I'm, you know, multimillionaire, who, wh- wherever you're at. I just think when you're in your 20s, you can be relatively guilt-free and be poor and just, and not poor, but you know what I'm saying, live in an apartment you know, just live, you know, hand to mouth, whatever, have a service industry job, like, you know, like, it's just, it's fine. But then I just wonder, as you get older, do you start to think, oh, I should have made different choices? Oh, like, you know, I think the guilt of life can start to weigh on you the older you get. Well, yeah, I think about sometimes Charleston, where I had, I had a salary job. And I think, you know, if I had just saved money for a little while, and bought a house in Charleston, how much that would be worth now. Right. Oh, man, that'd be yeah. amazing. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, my my brother ended up living in Toronto if we had just gone in together and bought a condo or something. Yeah. Instead of paying rent for a decade. I mean, so much rent I paid. Yeah. I paid and maybe so I'm pro- maybe much Maybe I'm projecting rent. because there's nothing wrong with service industry jobs. I know that there are people, you know, older than 40, of course, work in service industry jobs, but I just... I just think, and even like with drinking, right? Like when you're 20 and drinking every week and you're like, well, they're a 20 year old. But if I see someone like sloshed all the time and they're in their forties, you're thinking, how long you been doing that, man? I think it, yeah, I think it, yeah, it depends on the situation, right? It's like, uh, there's fine dining jobs mm-hmm. where people make big money. There's right. bartending jobs where people make big money. So you can stay in that industry. Even people, you know, when I was growing up, some of the ladies that worked at Western Sizzlin, I mean, they were older women and they were making money and they were making it work by, you know, and even a Waffle, Waffle House waitresses take so much heat from people, but, you know, they're doing it. They're making money. Mm-hmm. And, but it, it, it is like, I was in some restaurant not long ago and this guy was not my server, but I could see him waiting on other people. And it just, by the way he moved, by the way he talked, you could tell he'd been doing it a long time, but he also looked real oily, like, like he was hung over and sweating a little bit. And I just thought, man, that guy, it's not that he's stuck in the restaurant. It's that he's stuck in the twenties lifestyle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. 
Well, let's do a little where we've been, where we're going. Yeah, let's get off of this. Uh, I felt like this was a good talk, though. Was it? Yeah, I thought it was a great talk because, you know, I I didn't plan on doing that. But I uh, just thinking about, you know, alternate Dusty Slays and what they're up to. And every in these these Marvel movies have all gone into this whole parallel universe thing. And it's got everybody out here in the world thinking we're living in parallel universes. And uh, I've had a couple people talk to me about it. Because, you know, I like that kind of stuff. I'm into it. I'm into hearing about it. Uh, but I can't buy it. Um, but, you know, you know, we watched that Loki TV show a little bit. Yeah. And they were always like, oh, this is uh, alternate reality Loki. And, you know, and it's just like, it's almost boring to me. Um, but where I've been. Last week, I went to, I flew out to Little Rock, I actually flew to Charlotte, North Carolina to connect to fly to Little Rock, Arkansas. And I went, I got picked up and drove to a town called Conway, Arkansas, where I did the Toad Suck Days Festival. And they, I don't feel like anybody could really articulate why it was called Toad Suck, but they seem to think that in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, people would come up on boats and then they would drink so much that they would swell up like a toad. And they would say, like, they're sucking on the bottle, you know, like. Um, okay. You know. And it just seems like a weird callback out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, but like, you know, like the John Mellencamp, Jack and Diane song where he's like sucking on chili dogs outside of Tasty Freeze. It's like. It was just different terms for things. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's America. Yeah. Yeah. That's America. And, you know, John Mellencamp has a song called Ain't That America, <laughs> You <laughs> and Me. That's, I think it's called. Yeah, I don't he gets know. it. Yeah, John Mellencamp does get it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, um, you know, so I did that, and it was an outdoor festival. I did that with Will O'Donnell and Justin Smith, and I thought it was going to be awful. Because it was, you know, it's outdoors. It's a big stage. And there was a whole festival going on. It was almost like being at a fair, but it was downtown Arkansas, you know, so downtown Conway. So all the streets were blocked off. And um, and outdoor shows typically can, can not be great. So bad. There was a train track right next to the stage. There was, um, you know, people moving about. Uh, there were, I could see, you know, off in the, the not so far distance, uh, uh, like a merry-go-round and other kind, like what is that, like a Ferris wheel and other kind of rides like that. I kept calling it the wheel of death. and Just indistinct noise around. Yeah, but it ended up being really great. It was really fun. It's one of those things where I asked them, I said, how much time, you know, am I doing? And they said, oh, you do as much time as you want. I go, how much time do I have to do though? <laughs> like I just, I said, I plan on doing an hour. But I want to know at 45 minutes, if I'm hating it, can I get off? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I hate to frame it like that, but I do. I want to know my required time. You're a professional. So I ended up doing over an hour. It was really great. The audience was into it. I mean, it's hard to hear the laughs when it's open air like that. People don't understand. A lot of people think that comedy is just, hey, if you're funny, you can do it anywhere. And to some degree you can, but it's like. It matters. The environment matters if there's, because this was a free show for people. Now they paid me very well. They were very nice, but it was a free show for, for people. So they could come and go as they please. They don't have to stay. There's no investment. 
Uh, it could be like those corporate gigs where maybe this is the first time they've even seen live stand up. Yes. Yes, it could be. But as I was walking around the fair, you know, somebody gave me a shirt out there. Um, I got I got myself some corn and a sweet tea. Oh, you got some corn? Yeah, I got corn on the stick. Oh, OK. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's the most healthy thing you could eat at a fair, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I walked around, and then, you know, a lot of people were coming up to me. We were taking pictures, and they were like, oh, we, we came here just to see you. And it's like everybody that I saw, I'd be like, thank you for coming. I hope it's good. You know, because I'm like, it's outdoor comedy. Who knows what's going to happen? You'd say that? Oh, yeah, every okay. time. Yeah. You keep it 100, huh? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not trying to pretend to be nobody. I'm like, yeah. it, it, it may not be good. Mm-hmm. But then I went to Springfield, Missouri, a place where I've been many, many times to the Blue Room Comedy Club. I've, I've gone on and on and on about how, how many times I've been to the Blue Room Comedy Club, but it's really great. And this time, they, the local paper wrote an article about me. I didn't read the article, but uh, I, I, I understand that the gist of the article was how me and the Blue Room have grown together at the same time. Our careers have been on the rise. Oh, wow. Whereas I came to the Blue Room in 2016. Actually, um, that is the second place I did comedy wearing the hat. And um, so I, I did. I started wearing the hat in Indianapolis and then drove to the Blue Room on a Sunday night and did comedy. And um, the, the room was not very well set up. It was just opening. They were just getting it going. Chris, who runs the club, he didn't know what he was doing. He, he, he didn't even set out to do it. There was a guy, I think it was Tim, um, I can't think of his last name, very funny comic, but I can't think of his name. Um, he um, suggested that Chris start doing comedy in there. So he did, and then slowly as I would go back, I mean, I stayed, at that time I got my own hotel. The next time me and you went, we stayed in Chris's mom's basement. Mm -hmm. The next time I went, I stayed at his cousin's apartment. And then finally, he got me a hotel. But the club has gone, it's gone through some various changes. It's gone to different places. But now he's got a really great club. So this article was kind of written because I am making the transition to theaters by next year. I mean, I don't know that it'll be all theaters, but we're going to really push a theater tour out in 2024. So there's a chance because some of the markets that I go to that I like the most are the ones where the most people come. So that's where you want to push to theaters. If you got the most people, well, let's go to a theater and I like it. I'm happy. I'm excited about it. But it's sad in a way because these are these clubs are my favorites. So the article, I think, was kind of framed as maybe Dusty's last time to the Blue Room. So it was fun. I got a couple of standing ovations after my sets this weekend, and I don't normally get standing ovations. I'm curious, how do you know what the article's about if you never read it? Like, you seem to understand the whole theme, which well, honestly sounds a little intriguing. I'm curious why you was, wouldn't read it. But. It was sort of the way the interview was set up. Oh, they talked to you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. I called them. Oh, okay. Yeah, we had a okay. talk. Okay. So I don't know what was the final product, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think that is what it was about. That's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, so I thought it was really fun. I had a great time. Uh, such a great place. Yeah. I love Springfield. Everybody yeah. in Springfield seems to hate Springfield, but uh-huh. I like it a lot. I, I also You know, it's just these small towns that you just have to adjust to. But Springfield is this, really not that small. Well, no, but it, it it's it is when you compare it to somebody that's living, 
you know, that that fast and furious L.A. life, that New York, I'm, a, I'm about to be a highballer, I'm a hustler. And then you slow down when you get to a city like Springfield. Yeah. Then, you know, the, you're, you're just like, you're going to get fried food here. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's true. But they do have some stuff going on there. They got a college. Mm-hmm. I did comedy at a college in Springfield once before, and a, a guy... Uh, on Saturday night came up to me and he goes, Hey, do you remember doing comedy at a college here in town with about 10 people in the room? And I was like, yes, I do. And he goes, I was at that show. (laughs) I remember that. They got like a big school there too. Yeah. There was more than 10 people there. That's what he said, but it was more than 10 people, but it just wasn't a great show. Like they weren't that into it. I got them into it by the end of it, but it was pretty awkward. And, uh, uh, I just love that he came because he was like, he was like, I, he said, I thought you were funny. And then I looked you up and he was like, oh, this guy's been on the Tonight Show. He's been on the uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live. He's like, why, why are there not more people here to see this guy? But that's how the college shows go. You know, when I was working with Fortune Feimster on that one theater tour I did with her, I did about four shows with her. Uh, there was three theater tours we did. We did like, you know, uh, we did uh, Mobile, um, Nashville, and... Uh, I don't know. There's one more along the way. New Orleans? I don't know. Well, we started at a college in New Orleans, and we did three theaters. And I don't know. Maybe it was, oh, maybe it was uh, Mobile, Nashville, Chattanooga. That's what it was. So I'm watching her, and I don't know what her tickets cost. I'm going to just say roughly 40 bucks a piece. So I'm doing these theaters that are all sold out or practically sold out. Right. Big. So people are paying big money. They're getting, you know, babysitters. They're buying drinks and mobile. People are coming out of the restaurants in downtown to take pictures with Fortune Feimster as me and her were walking down the street uh, and they're out buying dinner. They're spending hundreds of dollars to come out for this night to see Fortune Feimster. But the first show we did was she did a college gig in New Orleans. I forget the college. Uh. Uh, it was a college that's a big deal. And, you know, 20 people are in the audience. 20, co- a free show for them. Anybody at that college could go to that show for free. And there was like 20 little lesbian girls in there. <laughs> and it's like, what are you people not on the tip? I mean, Fortune's like a huge deal right now. And you're, you got the opportunity to see her for free and you're not coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people in these other cities are dying to see her. And the college kids are not coming out. She probably made the most money at that college. Yeah, show too. probably so. But it's like, that's what the college gigs are like. I mean, I've done so many where it's like, you'll sell out a club and then go do a college the next day for, you know, 10 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's got to build your confidence as a human being, too. Just constantly like the up and down of good show, okay show. What? All of a sudden bad show and then great show. It's just, I mean, to keep yourself steady amongst that. That's why probably there's just so many alcoholics and drug addicts in in the entertainment industry. I mean, jeez. Yeah, I mean, and I do think that you need that, though, because I feel like when people get ultra famous, uh, people laugh at everything they do, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so you never get the ups and downs all ups and i think if it's all ups um then even a a a moderate up can be a down well also if it's if if you if you get a big head about yourself 
you, you get uppity about the things you will and will not do or yeah. you will or will not go or oh, the hotel yeah. you will or will not stay in. And then you're like becoming kind of a, you know, a jerk and you don't even realize it, but you just think you're entitled to it. Like, how dare you suggest I co-headline or, oh, you put me in, you know, this hotel, I should be in this, you know, and you just start feel, I don't know. I just think I've no, run think across right. or heard stories about people where it's just sort of like, ew, you've become this person because you had like a good year or something. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, and it can happen. I mean, it happens to me in a weird way about like rides, mm -hmm. like a lot of clubs will send, you know, a, a car to pick me up from the airport. And then other clubs will go just Uber and we'll reimburse you. You know, and it's like, that's fine from the airport. I never really mind from the airport, but I don't like to the airport Ubering. Right. Because I'm like, depending on the town, uh, you know, I've been in, I've been in um, Albany, New York. I woke up in Albany one time real early to get an Uber to the airport and there were no Ubers. There was no one. I'm just kind of sitting at the hotel like, what am I going to do? And then I go to the hotel and I ask them if they have something. They'll go, yeah, we got a guy. And this guy just shows up, you know, he's like a cab service. But he's just a dude that shows up. And I just got to get in the car with this dude and hope he takes me to the airport and not some meat factory to chop me up. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah, but that's a legitimate concern because you travel every weekend and you know what things are real inconvenient um, and w when, when you do get a ride to the airport, how much less stressed you are. I mean, you sometimes will call me from the airport so stressed over like minor microaggressions, but it's probably become because you've had like little things all weekend that have just aggravated you. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's hard sometimes like in Springfield on Sunday night, I did two shows I was back in my hotel by 11. I had to get up the next day at 4. I was back in my hotel about 10.30 probably. Had to get up at 4. And I thought, you know what? If I get to sleep right now, I'll get five hours of sleep. But then I just could not fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So I end up like stressing myself out trying to fall asleep and can't. And then Springfield is like loud muffler capital of the world. I mean, I could hear every muffler in town through my hotel window. And, and then, so I get up, you know, I get up at four, I got maybe, maybe four hours of sleep at best. Uh, and then I, I got to get on a plane and then, you know, my plane takes off late. So my connection is tight in, in Chicago and I get right on that one. And then I fly home and I get home and then I got to, I'm here, I was here for 45 minutes and then I got to get in the car and drive to Nate's house to do Nate land. And it's like, it was just, I mean, I feel like it took both of us a couple days to catch up. Yeah. Like for you to not feel like a stranger in our own home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then to just be not like so weirdly and vaguely stressed that it's like, we're both a little moody or annoyed at each other. It just takes like yeah. a couple days. And now it's like, Oh, you're leaving again tomorrow. It's like, okay, yeah. bye. <laughs> Yeah. See you, whatever. And where am I going? I'm going to Knoxville tomorrow. And uh, on Saturday, I'll be taping a special. I have two shows. They say they, they're sold out. Uh, I think there may be like, I, I'm learning stuff about theaters. 
there may be like some single seats. And I think that's what happens is people buy up seats and then there'll be a few single seats left. So if you're like, want to go to a show alone or go and not sit with the people you went with, I think you probably could get tickets. But for the most part, it's, they're both shows are sold out and that's very exciting. I'll say too, because we were talking about people in their in their 20s. If you're in your 20s and you're interested in going to Dusty's show, but you don't really have anyone to go with, go by yourself. You're yes. in your 20s. Grab yes. a beer, smoke a J, go watch the show. Sit by yourself. No one cares. You're in your 20s. You can do stuff like that and not feel weird about it. Yeah. And there, there is nothing weird about it. I know people that they don't want to go to a restaurant and eat alone. I mean, I eat alone so much. Uh, because I used to, you know, when I used to sell pesticides, I was always on the road. So I was always eating at a, at a town by myself and I still do it now when I'm on the road. And it's like, nobody's looking at you weird. Nobody's going, oh, that poor person doesn't have any friends. That's what a lot of servers will think when they wait on people that are alone. And it's like usually, and then, and then they'll try to like really chat them up. And that is the last thing they want. Usually the people eating alone are so happy they're alone and they want to be left alone. I think it's because you look like you look. Whereas if you were wearing like a tie and a business suit, they'd be like, oh, this man's just clearly a businessman and he's here traveling. And you are a businessman and you are there traveling. But, you know, you look like kind of like, you know, you could just be here doing some kind of drug deal. Yeah. But either way, I want to be left alone. Absolutely. You know, but, um, so that's where I'm going. And then, and then, oh, I want to say I had two shows at Zany's this week, Tuesday and Wednesday. Really great shows. Really great. I appreciate I got to see it. Yeah. You did get to come on Tuesday. I finally got to see your show. Yeah. I really appreciate people coming. It's really great. I've, I've been able to, I mean, there was a point where I wanted to cancel my Zany show because I, the attendance was so low and I was worried that that Zanies would cancel on me. So I kind of wanted to cancel it myself, but they let me keep going. And now I'm, I'm selling out like every show there. And it's just really great. I really appreciate everyone. Um, we will be back. My next Zany show will be August 1st. So I'm taking off a bit of time. Um, I'm going to be next weekend. I'm going to be in Virginia beach at the funny bone. I haven't been there in a long time. That's very exciting. Matter of fact, last time I was at the Virginia beach funny bone, I was featuring uh, this was 2016. I was featuring for the Raging Cajun John Morgan. The GOAT. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and the GOAT. No one knows about John Morgan, but. And uh, that's a shame. If you're in the comedy world and you've worked with John Morgan, that guy will blow your mind. He is the Tesla of comedians, okay? Yeah. Everybody should pay some homage. Nikola Tesla, not the car. Yeah, Nikola Tesla. Yeah. Because, you know, he was the real guy that invented electricity, right? Not Edison. And I think that's Every, what they say. Yeah, yeah, everybody gives him the credit, right, Edison. But it was really Nikola Tesla that was doing some great yeah, things Yeah, apparently Nikola Tesla invented free energy or at least f discovered how to harness free energy but died yeah. a poor man. But the raging Cajun, oof, you see his show, you will not forget it. It is true. It's pretty, pretty wild. Mm-hmm. So I'll be going back there, and I'm excited about that. And, um, you know, we, we did not even come in here with really anything to talk about, but I would like to circle back to what we talked about at the beginning. Oh, you'd like to circle back? Yeah. Okay. I love a good circle back. Well, because we, we talked a lot about what, what we did do in our lives, 
but but the idea of the alternate reality, Dusty, you know, it's like, what would I have ended up doing? I mean, this is what I was doing when I left. I was living in a trailer. I had my driver's license back. Um, and I was working at Office Depot for seven, um, I want to say seven twenty-five an hour, something like that. That might even be too much money. I mean, what would I have been doing? I mean, what would I end up doing? What kind of work would I gone into? My dad always wanted me to, my dad sold insurance in Lafette and he wanted me to take over. He sold for Aflac, but he had his own office, his own business. He wanted me to take that over and just keep that going. I mean, would that have been the path that I took? Would I uh, ended up climbing the corporate ladder at Office Depot? Would I uh, been the manager of Western Sizzlin? Would I, I mean, what would I have done? You could have done math. I could have, yeah. You could have just had a career in math. I, well, could have. That, those are usually pretty short-lived careers. Mm. But, but yeah, I mean, I could have gone down that road. I mean, who knows, you know? I remember there was a, there's a restaurant, and I forget the name of it, but it's a, a, a New Amsterdam, maybe is what it's called, in Auburn. And right before I went back to work at Western Sizzlin the second time, I put in an application at New Amsterdam. It seemed like a real cool, hip place. And I remember the guy who was the manager called me in for an interview, and he said, he said, I went to Opelika High School too. And he said, I want to give you this job. I was like going to be a dishwasher or whatever because you went to Opelika and I did too. And he said, you know, he said, it might be rough back here a little bit. You know, people are going to pick on you. And the one guy goes, I know I will. And it was like, and I, but we have a good time is what he said. And I didn't take the job because they, they scared me. They intimidated me. I was like in Auburn. I was an Opelika kid. I just wanted to go back to where I was comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I often think, had I taken that job, now knowing what I know about the restaurant world, the actual restaurant world and not the Western Sizzlin restaurant world, um, what would have happened? Would I have made friends at that place? Would I have made a new uh, section of friends that, that I didn't have from high school? Would I got involved with people that went to the college at Auburn? And would I have found, uh, you know, just a whole new lifestyle and never moved if I had had more happiness? Now, I was happy in Opelika, but I was ready for change. I was desperately ready for change. But this might have given me the change that I wanted. And would I have ever left? What would have happened? Well, that was God putting the fear of God in you. Yeah. Maybe. You know, you were afraid to go eight miles down the road. Yeah. And I ended up moving six hours away. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, oh, I forgot. I had emails. I had a lot of emails. I um, have to go do some pregnant things right now. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to try to, I'm just going to try to read this one email here. Um. Oh no, I don't have you here to. Uh, well, we got an email from Peggy. Uh, she says to uh, get rid of the pesticides and herbicides, all of them. Are you putting them on the lawn or in the house, anywhere where Daisy plays? They contain neurotoxins, carcinogens. I can't. I can't. I can't read carcinogens. I don't know. I feel like I know that word. 
and other poisons that can permanently permanently damage her health and yours and Hannah's and your soon-to-be-born son's. You can have a beautiful lawn just by regular mowing. My dad had a gorgeous lawn in Vermont. He never used any pesticides or herbicides in addition to the grass he planted. His lawn, which he mowed regularly, was green and full of beautiful wildflowers like self-heal, violets, clover, and other native plants that just grew there naturally. Um, well, I appreciate this, Peggy. I mean, you know what? I do mess around with a little bit of pesticides. I got a real pesticide background and I have a hard time getting rid of it. But, you know, in the backyard, uh, when I when I spray for bugs at the house, I just go around the outside of the house. I don't spray them inside. And then I don't put any pesticides in the backyard at all. Um, I don't actually put pesticides in the front yard. I put herbicides, but I know that that all falls under the same category. But I, I did put a little weed and feed down in just my front lawn because it was starting to look bad. I was just going with the grass cutting approach and I would put down um, malorganite, which is supposed to be a real natural kind of fertilizer. And it just wasn't doing the trick. And my lawn was starting to not look good. And I just wanted to give it a little boost this year. But Daisy plays in the backyard and it is uh, pretty, pretty pesticide free. Um, so let's see. Um, uh, this guy wrote an email. Hey, my name is, uh, he told me that I could include this, uh, but I'm not going to say his name. He's from Coleman, Alabama. And I'm, he said, I'm a big fan of your comedy and podcast with you and your wife, but I came to ask, I think he said, I was in a car wreck a few years ago that changed a lot for most of my life. I asked God if he was real to show me that he was real. I know deep down that he brought me out of that wreck to share my story. I would love to hear feedback from you on how maybe I should go through with it. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. And you can include on the podcast if you want. What do you think he's asking here? Well, it sounds like he had to come to Jesus moment through a near death experience. And now he's convicted that God is real, but he doesn't really know how to. He doesn't know what the next steps are. Yeah. I think that you should. Thank you for this email. Yeah, how, and, to, ser how to serve God. How and make, also, thank you, Peggy, for that email. Mm -hmm. But uh, thank you uh, for this one. Um, I think that you should just. Begin reading your Bible. I think you should get... Now, people will tell you to get whatever kind of Bible, whatever. I prefer the King James Bible. I'm not saying it's the best. I'm not saying it's the only one. I prefer it. Um, I would get a King James Bible, and I would just start reading it. And then I would pray before you read it and just start praying. Because, you know, ultimately... If you just move on from the wreck that you were in and and move on with your life, eventually that feeling will fade. That feeling of I prayed uh, for God to show me he was real. And then if you don't take any action, it will fade away. And then you'll be, uh, again, finding yourself in a place where you're asking if God's real again. Just playing on your phone. Yeah. But it's like reading that Bible and praying is is what you got to do. I mean, praying doesn't mean just talking to God. Sometimes praying just means sitting alone with God 
and just, you know, sitting out in the yard, uh, you know, a pesticide-free lawn, putting your feet down in the dirt, in the sunshine, and just closing your eyes and just, you know, thinking about God, thinking about something you read in the Bible. That is going to help you draw near to God and ask God. I, I, I do this a lot. I just straight up say, uh what do you want me to do, God? And I just feel like God directs me down a path that, you know, and I don't feel like, I don't feel like people say they hear God's voice and whatever, and I'm not saying they don't, but, you know, I don't feel like I really hear God say anything to me, but I feel like my my life just goes down these paths. Uh, and as long as I'm like, that's why I think it's important to know what God's telling us to do. Uh, you know, right and wrong, because then you, you know, I feel like a lot of people say, oh, I just feel like God's telling me to do this. And like the thing they're doing is like sinful. And I'm like, God's never going to tell you to do a sinful thing. So here's another one. Uh, I haven't caught up on the last few podcasts, so forgive me if you've already discussed this topic. Since we are so similar, I'm curious if your opinion on this also lines up with mine about America. This is an interesting one. I like this email. When I was a younger lad, I considered myself a patriot. I was proud to be American and was eager to shout out our superiority over every other country. Um. My proud patriotism, conservative beliefs would even trump my Christian beliefs, which is true for most American Christians. I think this is all true. And I'm, I'm, I'm on track with you all through here. As I grew older and I learned more about the government and its history with its own people and other countries, that patriotism waned. Still, I held the belief that the government is separate from us and puts our Christian nation to shame. Um, while that is still true within the last year or so, as I've become more in tune with Yahweh, as uh, a lot of people believe is God's name. I don't know, but I, I you know, I, I will call God that in my own private prayers. Um, uh, in tune with Yahweh and growing as a Christian so that patriotism has all but disappeared. How can we claim to be a Christian nation? Um, and, uh, yeah, this is pretty long, but I'm going to end there, but I can, um, I, I may respond to you privately just on this email, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, a long time ago, I would say, you know, the American dream, the, the, the way that they always seem to tell us to do things like climbing the corporate ladder, you know, sometimes means stepping over other people or doing this and that, like the whole kind of American dream is really, against what Jesus teaches. You know, I just feel like Jesus teaches, I don't think Jesus says, don't acquire wealth, don't have a nice home, don't do this and that. But I do feel like that, you know, you got to do that in a moral way, you know? And I feel like that the country kind of teaches us to strive for this and that and, and, and no matter what it takes. And I also think that having a Canadian wife maybe has brought me a little, um, uh, perspective, uh, like the Olympics. When I was a kid, I loved the Olympics. I loved to see America dominate. And I was like, yes, this is the best. This is amazing. But now it's like we win gold medals in America now, and we don't even realize that anybody's won. Whereas like another country that doesn't win a lot, a lot of gold medals, it's a big deal for them. 
And we just want to be like, we're the best, but we don't even know who's winning anything. We don't know any of the gold. I mean, people may, but I'm saying the average American doesn't know any gold winner names. It's not a celebration because it just happens all the time. Yeah. And I just feel like a lot of times we just take uh, all the best people from the other countries and be like, they're American. And then, you know what I mean? And then we just win. Uh, it's like Yao Ming. I think it was in his contract. He's going to play American basketball, but in the Olympics, he has to play for China. You know, because they're like, you're not getting him for your Olympics. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I want to go on. I don't. I realize that I might not have read the whole email before I started reading it on the podcast here. So I just want to know exactly what I'm reading here. But uh, I think I agree with you. I mean, it's like, it's hard. It's like. It's a tough time to, to be an American right now. Yeah, I mean. Because I, going on. I had, when I, when I first quit drinking, I got into couchsurfing.com. I never actually couch surfed, but I hosted some people and I had a couple. My very first couch surfing couple was a guy from England and a girl from Switzerland, I believe. And they were together, both living in England and they came and they visited me and I had just quit drinking, but I was yet to get into the conspiracy world that I would later dive into. I was uh, yet to uh, uncover a lot of the truths that I would later find. And I remember walking around with them. We had such a blast. I was taking them to eat food. I want to say it might have been around June because flags were out everywhere. Maybe July 4th. Maybe it was Flag Day. I don't remember, but there were flags everywhere. We were just having a great time. One night at my house, I was showing them some Toby Keith. I was showing them the, uh, uh, oh, put a boot up your ass. It's the American Way song. And they were like, we don't even get what he's saying, really. But they were like, we can can feel the patriotism kind of in this song, right? And it's like, but now when you start to learn that maybe, you, you, you know, the way you just think about it, you think about these other countries we're fighting, you just think, oh, they're just, they're just terrorists and they're trying to kill everybody. And then you think, oh, no, they're probably just a lot of people in those countries that are just living their lives trying to be normal people. And maybe their government's bad. Who knows? I mean, I think at best, their government's bad and we're like potentially killing innocent people because their government's bad. And it just, it changes my whole thing. And, you know, I'm still pro America all day. I, I love this country. I'm very blessed to be here and I'm happy, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the more you start learning about these wars, the more you're like, Oh gosh, I, I just, it just makes me sad. I'll tell you what, you make a lot of money in this country though. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> Well, you can, and that's, it is a beautiful, beautiful country, and, um, oh, here's someone, curious what your take is on paying tithe. I'm guessing with your talks surrounding eating pork and clean versus unclean that you are pro-tithing 10%. I only ask in the context of the pork conversation, as I would guess that those who argue with you that eating pork is okay probably would would say that we're required to tithe 10%, which would appear inconsistent as an argument, could be made that the New Testament, New Testament doesn't require that. Wow, that was hard to read. But I think what he's saying is if you're down with not eating pork, you're saying unpork is, 
uh, eating pork is unclean, then you probably agree that you should tithe 10%. While a lot of modern day Christians will say um, that you can eat pork, but they'll say you, you do need to tithe. And I think tithing comes from the Old Testament. And I think it's, and I don't remember exactly who it was. Maybe it was Jacob said that he would give the Lord a tenth of everything he owned as thanks to God. Now, I could be wrong about this, but I don't know anywhere in the Bible where it says as a commandment that you're supposed to tithe. Um, now, I think Jesus says you should give. It's it's good to give. And, and there's even mention of, you know, in the Bible where, you know, these very wealthy people were giving these big gold bars and chains and things like this. And a lady plumps a little copper coin into the pan. And Jesus says she gave more because that's all she had. But I don't know. I don't see any requirement to tithe. I think it's very important to give back. I think, uh, but I just, I think tithing has really been taken, taken on by the church to ensure that all their bills are paid all the time. Now, I don't know. I'm open to it. If you got a verse you want to send me, I am open to it. But I just wanted to do this and then we'll get out of here. I know this is going a little long here, but this is um, something I looked up. I just looked up something. You know, I always talk about Torah and I talk about the law. But when you look up Torah, some of the translations for it, one translation is law, but other translations are instruction or teaching. Um, Torah in Judaism, in the broadest sense, is the substance of divine revelation to Israel. Uh, God revealed teaching or guidance for humankind. So I just think that when you think about these commandments, don't think about, oh, this is God's rules for me. I got to follow all these rules. Think about it in terms of this is God's teaching and his way of saying, I understand you more than anyone because I created you. And this is my teaching for you. Uh, and I just, this is my instruction for you. And I, I like just think that. that, yeah, I think that's powerful where it's like people always like to argue the thing, oh, you're, you're, you're trying to work to earn heaven. And I'm like, I'm not trying to earn heaven. I already have heaven. Uh, I hope I, um, am just now trying to, you know, live the best life that I can live. And I think the best life would come from God instructing me how to live. Amen. So this was fun. I had a lot of fun on this podcast. I oh, hope good. You, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I hope I didn't say anything that sounded bratty. I feel like I said some bratty things. What do you think you said that was bratty? Well, I said, but hey, you can make a lot of money in this country. No, I don't like think a th real annoying white lady. No, I don't think that's bratty. I mean, and I don't think that has anything to do with race. I mean, you can really. I know, but I can just hear the haters. You well, just, sometimes no, you can no. just hear the internet. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's like you can make money in this country and that that is, and you would know better than anyone because right. you 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 worked in the Canadian entertainment industry and you know that every Canadian is trying to move to, once they become an entertainer and successful in Canada they try to move to America mm -hmm. i mean just there's the there's the list a mile long of famous comedians in this country that are Canadian yeah. Because this is where the money can be made. And that's what, you know, people love to hate capitalism, but 
that is what it is. I mean, capitalism does, you know, it's like you can make money. Yeah. Now, there's there's a lot of bad things that I don't like in this country. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that I don't like. But there is this thing in this country where if you just kind of put your head down, get at it, grind it out, you can find a way to make yourself some money. Don't make bad decisions. Don't become an alcoholic. Don't become a drug addict. Don't have a bunch of kids and then get divorced. Um you know, but if you just grind it out, you can make money. Stay loose. Get in there. I mean, I was, as I said earlier, I was waiting tables. I was hosting trivia and I was hosting an open mic. And that's how I was making my money. And I was doing fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's all relative, too. Like, I used to think I had lots of money in my 20s when I was working on Canadian TV shows. And then I moved here and I saw what people in the American industry can make. And yes. I mean, I don't even think I've seen the half of it, quite frankly. I mean, we yeah, know I mean, lots what, of people that make ooh, a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, people are making like, huge money. And it's, I mean, uh, it's like, I this heard, can't be real. I heard something one time where they said Louis C.K. wanted to include a song on his um, special. And they were like, they said he, he could buy it for $250,000. And he was like, ah, I'll just do another theater and pay for it. Yeah. And I'm like, so, I mean, that ain't the kind of money I'm making, but, <laughs> but it can be made. Yeah. And so. so that's like, and you know, and that's why people are moving here, even though everybody says they hate America, but everyone's still moving. here. People can't wait to get in. I don't know another country that people hate so much that people are dying to get into. I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> it really I mean. is so ridiculous when people talk about how much they hate this country that I'm like, there's a lot of countries. There's nothing stopping you from trying to live in another country. Yeah. And some people do. Some people yeah. do go to other countries and live. Yeah. But it's like, if you hate it, try something else out. At least gain yourself some perspective. Yeah. But, but, but to go back to what we said, sometimes just getting out of your own neighborhood will change your perspective enough. Getting a new set of friends. I mean, I love my friends that I grew up with, but... Getting out and making a new set of friends changes your perspective. You learn new things. Getting yourself a Canadian wife instead of a Southern girl. Yeah. Because listen, guys, Dusty never left the South. He's always lived here, but somehow pocketed <laughs> yeah, the Canadian somehow, wife. <laughs> somehow. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> well, because you traveled to New York for a month. That's true. And I traveled to yeah. New York for a month, too. Yeah. All right, well, that's it. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for listening. We're having a good time.